Dr. Tim Keller wrote a great book about faith. The book was called The Reason for God. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for months. And Tim writes about how all of us, every one of us, will put something at the center of our life and how Jesus often raised the question of what that center would be. This is what he writes, and I quote, Remember this, if you don't live for Jesus, you will live for something else. If you live for career and you don't do well, it may punish you all of your life and you'll feel like a failure. If you live only for your children and they don't turn out right, and all the parents said amen, you could be absolutely tormented because you feel worthless as a parent and as a person. But if Jesus is the center and Lord and you fail him, he will forgive you. Your career can't die for your sins. Everybody has to live for something, everybody. Whatever that something is becomes Lord in your life. Whether you think of it that way or not, Jesus is the only Lord if you receive him, will totally fulfill you completely, and if you fail him, will forgive you eternally. Eat that, Buddha. Eat that, any other God religion on the face of the earth. There is no one that can match Jesus' offer of forgiveness and mercy and grace because he did all the work. I'm not doing anything. I'm receiving a gift. How no, it's nice to receive a gift. Yeah, a gift is something somebody else paid for, offered it, and it's received. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Paid for it in his own blood, offered it to all men everywhere and women, and the key is receiving it. I don't want to, you know, I had a gift card given to me a year ago, and I didn't, I, I, for a whole year I was without it, misplaced it, didn't know I had it, and a whole year later I finally got the card and opened it up. And I remember once I opened a drawer looking for something in a guest room and found a Christmas present from my wife she forgot she put there to give me. <laughs> so it's aftershave and I'm wearing it now. Come by and get a sniff and you'll see about my lost gift. I would have received it, but I didn't know I got it. Well, that's Jesus. So I was, I was wondering, just going into this weekend, just a personal question, what position would you say God occupies in your life right now? If you're going to be honest about it, would you say he's kind of on the outside looking in? You know, he's in your life, but kind of marginal. Or have you placed him at the center of your heart? Because Jesus, right from the outset of his life, has a way of pressing that issue. In other words, what's ultimate in my life? What's ultimate in your life? There's actually a wonderful picture of this from the very first Christmas, and I want to walk us through it together. It turns out that the picture a lot of us have, in our mind at least, about what happened on the night Jesus was born is not exactly what the Bible presents. It turns out there's something really wonderful going on at Bethlehem, and it has a lot to do with you and me. Now, the picture a lot of people have is that the first Christmas, here we go, it's Joseph and Mary, and they show up in Bethlehem. There's a big crowd in town because of the census. And Joseph goes to an inn, but it's booked. No vacancy signs. 
So Jesus has to be born in a barn or a stable, someplace with animals all over the place, which seems kind of non-hygienic, right? I mean, right? Over a cup of coffee, right? Yeah, all right. So author Ken Bailey, who's a great New Testament scholar, says this is not a likely scenario. For one thing, hospitality was a big deal in the ancient Middle East. It still is. A village's honor was at stake in how they would treat guests, particularly here because Bethlehem was called the city of David, and Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. He was in David's ancestry. That means he could knock on any door in Bethlehem and people would welcome him in. Also, if you think about it, Joseph has known for nine months, for crying out loud, his wife's going to have a baby. Now, if that was you, wouldn't you have called ahead and made reservations? Wouldn't you have done something? Any husband wouldn't wait till the last minute to make sure his wife had some place to have the baby, especially if the baby was going to be the savior of the world, for crying out loud. But we just, we just look at artists' renditions and we don't think, you know. It, it turns out Bethlehem, which means house of bread, Jesus was the bread of life, born in Bethlehem, was small enough. But did you know, I've been there a couple of times. What amazed me is how tiny everything is. I could throw a baseball from one little village to Bethlehem. I have this mind reading the Bible or in Sunday school. I thought, oh, it must be a great journey. We'll have to pack a couple of lunches. Shoot, I could throw a baseball and hit it. It's so small. It didn't require Uber or anything. You could walk pretty much anywhere. And, and it turns out Bethlehem was small enough that it probably didn't even have a commercial motel or end like we think about it. In the Middle East in that day, most people were very poor. And they lived in very simple homes that had just one room. Everybody, young people, didn't get their own private bedroom. Ha, ha, ha. None of that stuff we have today. Not back then. Just one room. And there would be a little area where people would actually at night bring in the animal they might happen to own. Maybe it's a sheep or a donkey or a pet of some kind. Outside, they had to keep uh, unclean animals that weren't allowed anywhere near the house. Well, during the daytime, those animals would be put out. That one room, that was it. Families would do their cooking, eating, cleaning, sleeping, and living right there. That was their home, okay? Now, a family on occasion might have a second room, a guest room. It would generally be attached on the back side of the house, or since their roofs were flat, it might be above that main room, and they called it a guest room or an upper room. Almost certainly it was simple, just like this. Simple house where Joseph took Mary in Bethlehem. Now, a famous old King James translation of the Bible says Mary laid Jesus in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn, but the word Luke uses here for the inn is not the Greek word for a commercial motel. Actually, the word used here is the word for guest room or an upper room. In fact, later in Jesus' life, he would celebrate what came to be known as the Last Supper with his disciples. Some of you know about that that come to church. We're told it was, it was held in an upper room. 
That'd be up on the roof. You look at these artist renderings and it looks like a man's cave. You could have LED TVs in there, huge tables and all. Nothing of the sort occurred. It's up on a roof. Sounds like an old drifter song for some of my old brothers in here. Up on the roof. It's exactly the same word used for the Last Supper in the upper room, right here in Luke 2. So Ken translates it this way. Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because the guest room was already full. In other words, what happens is they come to a private home because the census is going on. The guest room's already full. So the people who lived in this home said, we will still make the heart of our home available for you, Joseph and Mary, so Jesus can live right in the center of where we live. This is magnanimous. I mean, this is not a heartless innkeeper keeping Jesus out, or it's not Joseph, an inept husband, who isn't prepared for the delivery of a baby. What we see here pictured in this home, bringing Jesus and uh, Mary and Joseph in, is a picture of grace. Another beautiful picture of grace at Jesus' birth. Angels come to the shepherds and they tell them, the king has been born. The shepherds are supposed to go visit the king. The angels say, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. So something kind of fabulous is happening here. There's a reason why that sign is given to these shepherds. Shepherds were very poor people. Shepherding was sometimes listed as an unclean occupation in Israel. Shepherds were at the bottom of the status totem pole in their culture. So a shepherd would assume if a king, if a Messiah has actually been born, he would be lying on satin sheets in a palace of gold. He would be sure to be in a home of a governor, a king, a VIP, absolutely. A shepherd was not going to get in that house. They knew that. So it'd be very much like telling a really low-status person in our society, like a migrant day worker, uh, the president and first lady have just given birth to a child. You go to the White House and demand to see it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I have land in Florida for sale. Right. They'd never be allowed inside. In fact, they would be turned away and humiliated. Shepherds know if Messiah's been born, it's going to be in place. They're not letting shepherds in. This is so cool. So the angel says, this will be a sign to you. The baby will be wrapped in swaddling clothes. Not a golden robe. Swaddling clothes are what peasants wrap their babies in. No designer labels here on these clothes. You'll find the child lying in a manger, not a crib of gold. Mangers are where peasant people laid their children. They used them dually, also to feed that little animal they may have been keeping, but they would put their babies in there, the little ones. Shepherds, the angels say he's going to be like you. He'll be one of you. He'll be poor and ordinary like you. You can get to him. You will have free access to him. Pause just for a second. Did you realize that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, wouldn't let you get near them? Don't touch us. We're holy. We're clean. We don't want anything unclean to come near us. So they had avoidance with religious people. And the more religious they got, the more isolated they became. Kind of like celebrity pastors. Uh, that's just a private 
okay? But with Jesus, it's high touch. Everybody had access to him. The hooker, the, the prostitute, the pimp, the tax collector, the leper, the unclean could touch him. Are you aware? Everybody had free access to Jesus. You didn't have to be high on the moral totem pole. You didn't have to be the leader of the Bible study. Anybody from the outcast to the highest rank could have access to Jesus. That's shocking because that's not true in most religions. Not true at all. Nobody needs to be rich enough, smart enough, strong enough, good enough, not with Jesus. Nobody who really wants Jesus will ever be turned away. There are churches that will turn you away. Jesus won't turn you away. This is the gospel good news for shepherds. This is the gospel of grace. It's the good news of Jesus. Ali, Ali, in free. Everybody's welcome. Huh? Yeah, it's not an invitation to special people in this zip, code, this zip code of San Antonio of that race, of the affluent who live in the gated community and drive Mercedes and BMW. That's their church. Gag me. In fact, James rebukes a church for letting anybody who's high profile get the best seat because they've got the Mr. T starter kit on and the gold jewelry. He says, you don't give them preferential treatment. Everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. I, I don't know how Jesus wouldn't get every. If that was preached in every churches of America, they'd be jammed like Super Bowl. But that's not what's been preached. It's always qualifications or it's race or it's culture or, or it's what you haven't done or done or, or whatever. It's a, it's a shame. Jesus gets a bad deal when he went to so much trouble to make this easy. And it's so easy, religious people hate it. Well, I don't this, and that person does this. I'm hoping some of you have somebody live next to you that you hate, that you read about in the paper, that you don't like, that you don't think would ever qualify for any measure of grace because you're going to see some in heaven. If they put their faith in what Jesus did at the cross, you're going to be shocked because I'm not getting in based on what I've done. I'm getting in based on what he did, right? That's the good news. Everybody needs to hear this. Religious people hate it. Average guy loves it. So is the good news, that's the good news of Jesus. It still is. To anybody who will make room, he'll come in. He says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If any man will open the door, I'll come in. It's invitation only. Jesus says, I won't make you, but if you'll ask me, I'll come. I'll make room for you. Tim Keller writes about the difference between the message of Jesus and the way most religions work. He says, the founders of every other major religion essentially say, do this and do that and don't do this and you'll find the divine. But Jesus says, I am the divine, come down to you to do for you what you can never do for yourself. The Christian message is not that we are saved by our own merit or record or morality, but by Christ's record that no man can boast. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of your works. Do you know what God says to religious works? Now, good works are good, but they don't make you righteous. God says, if you think they make you righteous, let me give you a comparison. To me, your good works are like minstrel rags. You want to impress Jesus because you don't smoke? Or you never did anything bad? Or you were never immoral? Or you never cr crossed some horrible line? Or, or, or you've been to prison? 
You see what I'm God's trying to get it out of us that I can bring anything to God worthy of merit. Nothing. I actually just humble myself and receive grace and mercy. Wasn't it the publican who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, while all the religious people were over here saying, I've got perfect attendance in Sunday school. I tithe. I've never done this. I've never committed adultery. I don't even smoke. I've never even had a hit of marijuana. And Jesus ignored him, and this guy just humbled himself, hit his chest, and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said to his staff, in awe, he went home justified. Wow. I, I don't know about you, but I love that. I just love that. That's why it's called good news. That's why the, the unclean crowd flocked to him. Now, obviously, Jesus over time will transform us, but not at the same rate. And I don't know of anybody who's going to die, even who loves Jesus, who's got it all together. If you're here, please stand up. We all want to see you. I, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm redeemed by what Jesus did only in my faith in him. So Christianity is not a religion or irreligion, something totally different altogether. That something else is Jesus Christ. Now here he is. He comes to bring God, God's love, God's presence, Emmanuel, God with us. He's bringing up there, down here. Every other religion, I'm trying to get up to him. In Christianity, he says, knock it off. You'll never make it. I'll come down to you. I'll come down and do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'll bring me to you. That's just remarkable, you know? So it's through Jesus alone. Jesus alone, through his incomparable life, through his remarkable teachings, through his dying on a cross for the forgiveness of my sin, your sin, then his resurrection from the dead, that God wants to forever change your life and mine in the world in which we live and in my eternity. Forty years ago, I made the choice that determined a different outcome for my future. And when I accepted Jesus as a, as a single man, I broke every curse that was passed on to me from Adam through Jesus who became a curse that I might inherit the blessings of Abraham so I could then impart to my children and children's children who sit with me every Saturday night here, blessing and not a curse. I am blessed through Jesus. I'm redeemed from the curse. Whatever my father did and failed to do, whatever my mother failed to do, whatever my ancestor, whether, it was un, whether they stayed unemployable, stayed addicted, stayed in divorce, whatever it was, I'm redeemed from that. It has no legal right over me, over my children or family. Pass something on to your kids besides burial expenses. For God's sake, pass on a blessing and not a curse. You get to make that choice. That's why Jesus always brings us back to this nagging question. If I were honestly going to describe where Jesus is right now, relative to my life, if my life was like that little home back in Bethlehem, where would you say he is? Maybe outside? Uh, maybe if you're really honest, you'd say you really don't think much about God. Maybe you're not sure he exists. Maybe you have questions about the Bible or the church. And maybe you do find yourself hungry for something deeper, better than just surviving, pumping blood, than just your body, than just being popular, than just having money. Maybe you would say, I think God's kind of in the guest room of my life. I believe in him. I think he is there. I pray to him sometimes, especially if I'm in trouble. I think about him occasionally, but he really hasn't been top priority in my life. 
If I'm honest about it, Rick, there are a lot of other things that I spend a lot more time thinking about and energy pursuing. Maybe you'd want to say, well, maybe, maybe this morning I'd like to make him the center of who I am. If he really is the one who made me, if he really is the ultimate source of meaning in life, and that no one and nothing else can give, if he really is the one who has power to wash away all of my sin, my regret, my brokenness, if he's really the one who holds eternity in the palm of his hand, I'd like him to be at the core of who I am. It's not that tough. It really isn't. Jesus will do that. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He, he invites everybody, you who are heavily laden, come to me. I will in no wise cast you out. Jesus promises anybody who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. So have you ever asked Jesus to make his home in your heart? Whatever your next step towards God might be, what if you took that step this, up, this upcoming year, 2021? I mentioned Tim Keller's book earlier. It, it looks at ultimate questions of life. Is there a God? If there is, what's he like? That's why Jesus came so you could see what he's like. How do I actually come to know him? If there's a good God, why is there suffering? If God is love, how could he send people to hell? Can you trust the Bible? See, all of those questions, our faith rises or falls on. And it's important to know. You know, the whole reason we exist as a church is to be able to help anybody who wants to enter into a transforming relationship with Jesus in an authentic community of people with each other. So, so there could be a light in the San Antonio area. God wants that for all the churches and in the world beyond. See, this, this church is not, Jesus didn't set the church up to be a political arm of some group. I'm sorry, some of you have been swept away Church is a redemption proclamation of good news. And Jesus upset everybody. He let women come in. He let Gentiles come in. He gave everybody equal access to him, equal benefits through the cross that's not based on my genetics or race or my bloodline to a particular nationality. He blew that out of the window and it really upset those redneck disciples. I mean, they were in their pickups with the gun rack in the back and Budweiser beer cans in there, and they didn't think anybody not Jewish could even be saved. They didn't think of them as even being human. Can you imagine what Jesus did blowing away nationalism and racism and everybody's political opinions? He just upset everybody. His own mom got upset. Now, that's, you got to go a long way to upset your mama his brothers, his disciples. Is he not mad? He must have a demon. Can you, I think if Jesus showed up today, he would blow everybody out of the water. I think, I, I am sure of it. And I consider myself moderate, kind of conservative where the Bible is, quite liberal where the Bible is. But I bet you he'd still, ups, what? I can just see myself, what? He would, he would upset your status quo. Because all of us have been raised in our little environment. We've been messed with. Our minds have heard. We've heard a lie so long we think it's true. And that's for everybody. And so God wants to renew our minds, our thinking, our actions through his word. So Jesus doesn't come as a Republican or Democrat, a white man, a black man, a Hispanic man. He comes as God in the flesh. So I better adjust my thinking to him. 
So wherever he speaks clearly in scripture, I don't care what your race, culture, or political ideology is, you better be there. That's it. Everybody wants to, well, are you Oldsmobile or are you Cadillac? Are you Mercedes-Benz or are you Bentley? Now, I'm Jesus. If whatever he says to do, that's what we'll do. Wherever that puts me, fine. If somebody doesn't like it, leave. I'm going to stand wherever he stands. And I'll guarantee you, if you do, it'll upset somebody. But be sure it's clear scripture, not an opinion. See, this Jesus still comes to real ordinary people like you and me and says, will you make space for me? For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.